Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. And welcome back to the Rock Chuck Podcast. I am your host, Andy Mitz. Today, we are recapping a successful first game for the Kansas Jayhawks. No Jalen Daniels, which we'll get to here in just a few minutes, but... Jason Bean had a great start after he kind of settled in, and the Kansas offense showed a lot of that same explosive personality that they had last year. But to help me talk about that and what happened with our defense, it would be Kyle Davis, my uh, editor, the debut over at Blue Wings Rising, and my new Monday uh, co-host for recap episodes. Kyle, how you doing today? I'm good. We got through the initial first scare of the season where everyone panicked uh, as, as Kansas was down 10 to 7 and no Daniels. And now we um, got to uh, enjoy the rest of the weekend with football wise and, and watching other conference foes struggle and even just teams across the country. And now it seems like maybe Kansas's issues in that first quarter weren't so bad. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned other conference foes struggling, and we'll talk a little bit about that kind of towards the end here. But, um, Kansas was able to avoid the fate of some of the other teams that, you know, lost games or played much closer games than they really should have. Um, and we got to see what happens when, you know, Kansas struggles a little bit and is able to, to still pull stuff off. So let's, uh, let's, let's go ahead and jump in because I think the first thing that really stuck out to me, and I talked about this in the keys of the game, what I was expecting to see. Um, this was a, a slow start for the Jayhawks. I don't think there's really any other way to describe it. So um, what about the slow start was the most surprising thing to you and, and how worried were you to see them start off the way that they did? I don't think I was too worried because I put this in the live blog, I think, but you know, week one's this weird, interesting thing where fans want to see everything that you have because they're excited. They're ready to go. It's the first taste of football. And coaches, I think, uh, you know, I don't want to pretend to um, to speak for Leipold or Coach K or any of them, but you know, I, I don't think with a with a game against Illinois looming, they wanted to show everything they had. Um, and again, same reason why, you know, maybe they we don't know exactly how bad Jalen Daniels' injury is, but you can reason that maybe 
it, uh, it, you know, even if he was on the border, you you play it safe and you give him some rest in this game and and not try and you know, there's, it's a it's a high risk, low reward type situation. So we, you know, I think we got some vanilla stuff at the beginning, um, but it was also good. You know, we uh, we talked to some of the players after the game, and and there was a lot of uh, talk about kind of you know. Adversity, you know, Jason Bean mentioned there's a lot of adversity in college uh, football. You had you have to overcome. He was proud of how they did. Uh, you know, um, uh, Leipold even mentioned in, in his press conference how, you know, the guys really kind of stepped up and no one panicked and that sort of thing. And so I was never too worried. I think, you know, I don't think we were ever going to see the whole bag of tricks um, by any means from the offense. And I think, uh, there were still definitely more goods than bad, which I know we'll get to an offensive line. I think played better than you could have expected uh, coming in here. Obviously we can talk about the running back group, Jason Bean, but yeah, the, you know, there's also, I think we should caveat. And if you watch the game, there were some unlucky plays or just, you know, impactful plays where one penalty that, you know, kept the drive alive, uh, um, not falling on a fumble. Uh, the, there's a couple other things like that where if one or two things go differently, it's even a different first half and maybe Kansas is up by 14, 17, 20 at the break. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it was bad enough in the first half that at the halftime musings, I was a little concerned, right? I talked about how it looked like the offensive line was slow. It looked like there was a bunch of, you know, like you worried about the pressure that they were to get because – Dominic Pooney last year, you know, played on the inside a lot, and he was able to get a big push on the inside, not so much on the outside. And of course, it's not his job to, you know, push the interior defensive line off when he's playing tackle. So, like, that wasn't necessarily that unexpected, but they didn't necessarily replace it with the same level of, you know, production on the inside as I thought. But it was, it was a lot better in the second half. I think the thing that jumped out to me in the first half. Um, and, and and we'll talk about Jalen Daniels not starting here in just a few. But the thing that jumped out to me in the first half is everybody looked timid, right? Like, it looked like everybody was more worried about not messing up and not showing too much. And I think with having Illinois as the second game, like, normally you would have a, another G5, like, a G5 as your second game at home, or you go on the road for a, you know, an, an important game or something like that. And, and it's not that big of a deal that you show a bunch of stuff up front, or it's also not that big of a, like you're not that worried about showing stuff because by the time you're playing a team that can take advantage of seeing some of your stuff early, it's usually three or four games in and you are, you know, it's not like you can hold that stuff off for three or four games. This is a completely different situation. You have a a huge marquee matchup against Illinois, you know, probably one of the best non-conference games on the slate for the Jayhawks in a really long time. That is an opportunity for you to kind of showcase. So you want to make sure that you have a successful game coming up this Friday. And so, yeah, I think it makes sense to hold some stuff back, but it was, it was fairly obvious that I don't think that the, the offense was all on the same page at the beginning. They, it took them a little while to kind of figure out what they wanted to do and running to the inside. They had to figure out how to actually do that. Cause that was probably my biggest concern going into halftime was, you know, they had five runs into the interior of, of the offensive line and every single one of those, like the most that any of those gained was one yard and most of them lost yards. And so that was a concern but, you know, they were able to make those changes in the second half. I do wonder, though, the slow start. The The, the defense did not start slow. Um, the defensive line had a lot of pressure early, but they kind of tailed off, you know, in the middle of the game uh, in that second quarter into the third quarter. 
But you did mention, I think the biggest thing that really just kind of gave the impression of that slow start was Daniel Hyshaw fumbled. They lost it. Um, you know, as Kansas was looking to try to go up by, I believe, by two scores at that point. Um, and then on the unsu- on the ensuing drive, uh, I believe it was, I want to say that it was uh, Gage Keys, but I could be wrong about who the penalty was on. Um, I, I forget. I, I had it up and I forgot who it was, but... One of the play, one of the newer players for the Jayhawks came around the corner, uh, slipped, went to his knees, and then lunged at the quarterback low, which uh, unfortunately, you know, was a roughing the passer penalty, which then allowed Missouri State to go ahead and score their first touchdown of the game. So that kept it a little bit closer than you probably would have expected. Um, but I don't think that you're necessarily too concerned about that when you look at the totality of the game. It definitely made for some interesting first half kind of jitters. Well, yeah, and actually, so Devin Neal, when we talked to him after the game, that was exactly what he said. He said first half or first game jitters is a real thing, and I think the thing that he pointed out that was interesting is that they were they they were trying to execute perfectly, and there was a couple, like you said, mistakes where that didn't happen, whether the fumble or whatnot. And then you know, I think it just took a little bit of a reset, um, but that's where you see in, in halftime clearly that reset took place they had a couple of big plays i think they got the confidence because there's another thing you know you're talking about you've got the the big game going up next week you've got an opponent who is inferior talent wise that you should beat in the first game of the season there is some pressure there when things don't go perfectly right from the bat where you get a little tight right i mean it's like the same thing in March Madness when, you know, a 15 seed is, is only down by two at halftime or something that they kind of just are hanging around and you get kind of nervous. Um, and we saw some big 12 teams this week not do well with their their um, lesser opponents, Baylor being probably the top of them. So I can see why. I mean, everything makes sense. The first game jitters, wanting to be perfect, having a couple of plays that don't go your way. But then, you know, what a lot of them talk about, which I think is where the bigger takeaway is, they got it together at halftime. They made some adjustments. They got it right. And then this game wasn't even close in the second half. And so that's where, you know, if you're going to put a, 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 you know, bigger emphasis on which one is real, which half is, is the real Jayhawks, I would put more money on, on the second half. Yeah, for sure. So, okay, starting the game, no Jalen Daniels. He wasn't announced as the starter, uh, but then did not play a snap. And Leipold talked about afterwards in the press conference that, you know, Jalen Daniels was a full participant at practice. Um, he was able to kind of come back. And by the end of the week, he was doing everything. They just did not feel that he got the required number of reps for everybody, including Jalen, to be comfortable with him being the guy to start. And, you know, that's, I think, part of the reason why it's so important to have Jason being back, because if something like this happened, you have a guy who's just as capable of running the offense, maybe not quite to the same degree, but, you know, you have somebody who is capable of doing a lot of the things that we saw today or we saw this last Friday and like, but how, you know, I, I saw a lot of people that were concerned about, Oh, well, Jalen Daniels wasn't playing, which means his back is probably, you know, still bad. And, and, you know, is he going to play against Illinois? I guess, what are your thoughts about the fact that Jalen Daniels didn't play the fact that they still announced him as the starter, even though he didn't end up playing um, and any worries that you have about him throughout the rest of the season? Um, I think the video board one is interesting because I think that happened a couple of times last year and clearly they knew coming in that he was not going to be the starter. That was just a little bit of a, um, uh, a psych Fan service, part. Yeah, well, or I didn't even, I, yeah, cause I surely it's not going to be, 
I don't, I don't think it's much for the opponent's sake at that point. Um, but yeah, so I, to answer your question, I'm not overly worried about his back yet. Cause again, just because he didn't play in this game, it was a low reward, high risk environment. You put him out there and he gets hit late um, and aggravates it worse. And again, that you're up by 25, like what good does that do? So I, you know, we will see. We're all just speculating at this point. You know, Brett, Brett McMurphy from Action uh, Network came out yesterday and said that he is Jalen is going to play on uh, against Illinois. Is what he heard and reported. I hope so. I think he probably does. If I had to guess, I would say that Daniels plays. Um, but I don't. I'm not too worried yet because again, I think you. Missouri State was always a team that you could beat without him. And the and you mentioned it, the beauty of having Jason Bean back, which, you know, like uh, even Lance Leipold in the, in the conference said, you know, how fortunate is Kansas that he came back? He said, very. Like, it was just a one-word answer because what Jason Bean does is it raises your floor. You're, you're not going to reach your ceiling without Jalen Daniels necessarily, but what you are going to do with Jason Bean is you're going to have a higher floor. And, you know, we just saw um, – actually, it just came announced as we're recording – that Baylor starting quarterback uh, Blake Chapin is out for multiple weeks with an MCL. We've seen that Iowa State is already on their their second quarterback because of the whole Hunter Deckers thing. Um, I think you know Texas Tech is going through some some quarterback issues. There's a huge drop off as we've seen in a lot of these places from the number one to number two. And what Jason Bean gives you is yes, I mean there's a little bit of drop off, which is a, a testament to Jalen Daniels and how good he is. But Jason Bean is a very competent, experienced quarterback. And and I know multiple guys, when we talked to, to them on Friday night, talked about how, you know, he's seen it all. He's been around forever. Like, there's not really a whole lot that you can throw at him that he hasn't seen yet. And so I, I hope that Jalen Daniels plays on Friday. If I had to guess, I think he would. But I still think that Kansas can beat Illinois with what we've seen from Illinois in, in week one with Jason Bean. And that is a very valuable thing to have because you're going to have injuries in football. Yeah. I mean, Jason Bean, like you said, like it, it gave a confidence through training camp. It gave a confidence through this first week of practice that he was a guy that they've had success with. I mean, they beat Oklahoma state last year. And, and obviously there was a, a lot of injury stuff kind of hanging over that particular game. But, you know, Jason Bean showed in the last couple of years that he's been here, that he is a, good quarterback that can execute a good system. Um, it's just, I think everybody knows that Jalen Daniels, his ceiling is higher than Jason Beans, but the floor is really not that far off um, for both of those guys. So yeah, you are comfortable as a Kansas fan. If Jason Bean has to be your quarterback for multiple weeks this season, um, I don't think that's going to be the case. Kind of what, what they were talking about was that, you know, and, and, and as I put in the article, you know, kind of when it first came out that people were worried about him not potentially playing or starting in the game. Um, you know, it, it would make sense, honestly, because Leipold never actually said that Jason, you know, that, that Jalen Daniels was 100% back. Um, I don't think you typically expect somebody to be 100% back when they first come back from a back issue. You know, I've had back problems before, and I don't have the kind of phenomenal care that, you know, that uh, these these players do have. But, um, you know, it, it takes time to get back from a back injury. It takes time to then stretch it out and use it in the situations that you would before, and you're going to be a little bit slower. And so if he was doing all that in practice – you know, there's not really a big expectation that all of a sudden he's 100% ready to go when he was still dealing with the back tightness. I do think, and I said this in that article, was like, I expect if he plays, it's probably going to be like two series just to shake the rust off. I don't think he needed to shake the rust off against Missouri State. Let's just be clear. Um, I think 
he he can shake that rust off against Illinois in the first couple series there. I think that Kansas, especially looking at what you know Illinois did in the in the game that they had, and, and we'll talk about that here in just a few minutes as well. Like looking at that, I think that Jalen Daniels will be okay if he's shaking his rust off in those first couple series. The real thing here, though, is that this is a team that you saw is still built to have the high-powered offense. I will say, Daniel Hyshaw having that fumble is a little bit worrying. If you remember last year in three games, he had three fumbles. He only lost one of them, and that was the one where he got injured against Iowa State. Kansas was very fortunate last year in that they had a fumbling issue where guys would fumble the ball, but they they were able to fall on a huge amount of them. I believe last year they had a total of 10 different fumbles, and I believe they jumped on six of them. Like... That's how crazy it was, their fumble luck. So I expect this team to fumble occasionally just because the way that the offense plays, you know, they play with a little bit of reckless abandon at times. And, and you know, it's not necessarily a bad thing for them to be aggressive. You know, you're going to have those times where they fumble the ball and they don't get to keep it. It's going to happen. But the fact that they were able to respond to that, and, and by the way, I did look it up. It was Austin Booker who who got that, uh, that, that roughing the passer penalty. I was actually encouraged by that because of the hustle that he showed to be able to get there and then just slipping at the end and not immediately knowing to pull off at that point. So, but you know, this is, we saw lots of really good things from the offense, lots of really good stuff from the defense. And then that second half explosion, look, you know, you wrote an article talking about the, the running backs in that running back room. We saw four different running backs get rushing touchdowns. We saw two different players get receiving touchdowns, including Devin Neal as one of them. Um, what was the most impressive part to you, though, about that second half explosion for the Jayhawks? Uh, I, I mean, the, the running backs, obviously, you knew they were going to be um, strong. I think that seeing newcomers like Dylan McDuffie, who has been around the block. I mean, he was at Buffalo and then Georgia Tech uh, and put up some good numbers there. But this is his first time at, at Kansas, obviously, his last year of eligibility. Um I knew, you know, Devin Neal, I think we knew what kind of to expect there. I think the offensive line was probably my biggest takeaway in that um, I, I know, you know, we mentioned there's still some some issues of running up the middle potentially, but um, they didn't allow a single sack and Jason Bean was able to complete, uh, you know, 22 of 28 passes, which, and he had time there on a lot of them, including some deep balls. And so I think, um I think the offensive line, even Jason Bean said afterward how how great they played. But there's just a, um, you know, you who are you going to to focus on and stop here, especially even in the running game? I mean, you've got Devin Neal only had 13 carries, uh, and he was and he was you know at 94 yards and a touchdown. The team as a whole averaged more than six yards a carry and that was with five different ball carriers including Jason Bean who can run and when you get Jalen Daniels back I don't think they probably want him running a whole lot until his back is is 100% but he can run as well like there are just so many different weapons on here I I was even impressed the stat line won't show it but I think Trevor Cardell had a really good game uh and and supporting with Mason uh Fairchild at the tight end spot obviously you've got um you got Quentin Skinner is still the deep threat and Jason Bean looked for him a couple of times. So that's the takeaway I think is that there are so many different options and the running back room is probably the best example of a next man up kind of mentality. And I really do like too, that the, it's not even just that there's four of them that are really good. You know, Devin Neal talked really in depth about the different styles, which go read that article. I won't give it all away, but about how, you know, he and Sevian Morrison kind of offer something that then, McDuffie and Hyshaw offer kind of a different aspect in terms of 
their style of running and their size and their speed and all that sort of thing. So, uh, you know, the nice thing is, is you have so much talent at the skill positions that the offensive line doesn't have to do too much. They just have to hold up. And what they did against Missouri State, which I know it's a, you know, um, inferior from a talent standpoint, it'll be a big step up from with Illinois, but they just have to do enough. They did their job. They protected Bean. They made holes. I thought you saw some, there's some really good blocks from like Jared Casey, the tight end position to, to kind of free some guys up. Um, and there are just so many weapons that, you know, Devin Neal's also, you know, catching passes uh, out of the backfield as well. Like there's, I, they, there's just so many weapons that will keep opposing defensive coordinators up at night trying to stop because on Devin Neal's point, the differing styles, you know, there's really seems like everyone has a role here, which is good. Luke Grimm's your third down, you know, you need seven yards. He's going to get it from the slot. Quentin Skinner is your deep threat guy. Lawrence Arnold can, can make big plays uh, when you need him to. You've got the tight ends to, if you need to throw it over the middle. So that's the takeaway, I think, is that this offense is, they've just done such a good job of not only getting talent in, but having defined roles and really building an offense around taking advantage of those roles and being able to kind of jump back and forth. I mean, we saw that they very um, strategically, I think, went with three straight runs to start the game before letting Jason Bean air it out a little bit. They got Missouri State in kind of hogging the the line there, and then Jason Bean was was super accurate with his passing and just the, the play calling and everything just really came together and was just impressive. Yeah, for me, I think it was, honestly, it was the defense that I was the most impressed by because you could tell in the first half, like looking back on it now, that, hey, they were they were going very vanilla with their fronts, like intentionally not showing off a whole lot. Um, and the few times that they did, you know, bring a linebacker to blitz or do, you know, something that was a little bit unexpected, they were able to get good pressure immediately against against uh, Missouri State. So I don't think that was necessarily the concern about what they can do when they're using everything. But they were handicapping themselves quite a bit, I think, in that first half, which made me kind of wonder what was going on. Second half, you saw them finally able to just wear down Missouri State. They didn't have to make a bunch of changes. They did bring some extra pressure in a few places from here and there. But you saw the ability to have multiple guys without a gigantic drop-off really run to their advantage, especially in the linebacker position. A couple of the, I guess, unheralded guys, you know, new guys or guys that haven't really gotten a lot of playing time before that that had some huge contributions at the end. J.B. Brown tipping the ball so that Kobe Bryant could pick it off, um, you know, and then Quentin, Quentin Lasseter, uh, you know, brother of Kwame Lasseter, who was on the sideline to actually watch this. Quentin Lasseter got an interception. Uh, to kind of seal the game at that point to really, you know, stop gave the, his brother the ball. Yeah. And then gave his brother the ball. It was, it was, it was an awesome scene to watch. It was really great to see those guys kind of get some plaudits for what they were able to do. And I think everybody knew that Kobe Bryant was probably going to pick one at some point here in the first couple of weeks. But the fact that brand new linebacker, you know, transfer JB Brown was the guy that tipped it, that made it possible for him to pick it, I think is good because that was one of our big questions, right? Like, do they have the linebacker depth to be able to in the, closing minutes of a game have the depth they need to keep people fresh and to be able to play the way that they need to. And they didn't show a lot of the, you know, strange stuff that you or the weird fronts that you are hoping can cause some havoc against the opponent, but they were able to wear down Missouri state and get to the point where the defense could do what we expected them to do. And that was the kind of defensive performance that I was expecting them to see. I, I, again, with the caveat that you 
really just wanted to get out of this game without showing too much and without major injuries. Yes, there was some concern about, you know, Luke Grimm went to the sideline, uh, did not play in the second half. He was in sweats on the sideline in the second half. Not really sure what exactly happened there, but hopefully, I mean, it sounded like everything was okay after the game. Um, there weren't a ton of injuries that you really have to worry about. Like Taiwan Berryhill got, got beat up. And in fact, the, the touchdown that uh, Missouri State scored in the first half actually came the play after Taiwan Berryhill had to go to the sideline because he was hurt. You know, he he took a stinger, it looks like, to the ribs, was able to play, and you could kind of see him hobbling a little bit later in the game. But, you know, this is a this is a team, I think, that has a lot of depth and is ready to go, and I am looking forward to what's going to happen in the rest of the, uh, the rest of the schedule here. So, all right, I do want to jump over, talk about some of the other Big 12 games that we've kind of teased a little bit, talk a little bit about Illinois and what's coming up. Um, and then, of course, talk about the other sports. But before we do that, I need to throw it to a quick break. We'll be right back on the Rock Chalk Podcast. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Life's better with American Family Insurance. Because our home policies help protect your dreams and come with peace of mind. Save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote, find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit amfam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. And we're back. I am here with Kyle Davis. We are talking about the uh, Missouri State game and kind of looking ahead a little bit. I think we've we've done most of the recap. I don't think that there's a whole lot more to talk about or to take from that game. So let's go ahead and jump over. You know, Kansas was fortunate to not really be flirting with an upset. The rest of the Big 12, not so much. Um, there were some pretty big losses. Baylor lost to Texas State. And now, as Kyle said earlier in the first segment, that Blake Shapin is uh, reportedly out for multiple weeks due to an MCL strain. Um, you know, you then also have, uh, I mean, West Virginia lost to Penn State, but that's not necessarily that surprising. TCU lost to Colorado, and uh, Texas Tech went out to Laramie and lost to Wyoming in double overtime. Of those four losses, which one is the most surprising or the most concerning to you, either way? Uh, I think it's got to be Baylor's, right? You, you're, you're playing an FCS team, you lose by double digits at home, your quarterback hurts his knee and is out several weeks. Um, you know, Texas Tech did blow a 17-point lead, but they were on the road, and Wyoming has done this to people before. They are kind of one of those um, ones that now, you know, I think some probably bigger opponents are probably going to be a little bit afraid to, to schedule. But, yeah, the Baylor one, giving up 42 points at home to Texas State, losing your quarterback, 
that's a rough way to start the season uh, and about the probably the worst way that I'm guessing Baylor fans would have imagined that one to go. Yeah, it, it is funny because I was one of the people that wasn't necessarily very high on Baylor to start with, right? Like I had questions about Blake Shapin, about how effective he was going to be throughout the year. There's questions about the defense because it kind of tailed off at the end of last year. Um, this was probably as bad as it gets. Look, I understand that the, uh, you know, the transfer quarterback that came into Texas State um, was – pretty decent. Like, it's not like he's a, you know, a, a scrub with absolutely no talent or anything like that, but Baylor should be better than Texas state. Baylor should have more talent. They should have, have, you know, bigger guys, more physical guys, and they got pushed around and it was not even particularly close. Like the fact that Baylor was able to get it back within the score that they did was pretty good, but like it, that game did not really feel like it was ever close. I don't think after the first, you know, seven or eight minutes of the game, like you could tell that Baylor was going to struggle throughout the entire game. And I was worried about whether they'd be able to win. Um, this is bad for Baylor. And I don't think that like, there's a legitimate argument to be made even with like Cincinnati. Well, Cincinnati looked great, but you know, they're, they're playing Eastern Kentucky, but like even like West Virginia or Houston or like other teams that you were worried about being at the bottom of the conference. I have a hard time thinking any of them are worse than Baylor right now. And I don't know how it gets better for Baylor. I will say the Texas tech game while I understand, you know, Wyoming is a decent team. Wyoming is probably a team that you, um, you know, is going to cause problems for people. Like they're, like you said, they're probably not going to get very many schedules from higher level programs, especially out in Laramie. Um, Texas Tech jumped out to a 17 nothing lead in that game. And then just the offense just stopped doing anything. And I think uh, that speaks a lot to, you know, the fact that you have a new coach and Joey, and Joey McGuire. Like it's his second season at his first ever head coaching job in, in D1 football. Um, you know, you also have, you know, quarterbacks and like the, the, the roster is fairly young. The roster is fairly, I think, inexperienced. Um, I just think it's not necessarily that surprising, but it was, it is definitely worrying with how quickly that offense dropped off. Now, obviously if you're a Kansas fan and they can't get it, you know, figured out by the end of the year, then, Hey, that's great for the Jayhawks. But, um, you know, if you're, if you're wanting the big 12 to be as strong as possible, or if you're one of those people that was betting on Texas Tech being a title contender in the Big 12 this year, that those are some really worrying signs. They still have plenty of time to get it fixed, but they've got to get started fixing it right away. And of course, you know, they welcome Oregon to uh, to Lubbock. So, you know, if they can pull off that upset, I think most people are going to kind of forget about the fact that they lost to Wyoming at the end of the year, you know, unless it's what keeps them out of the college football playoff. But, um. You know, they, they have to get stuff turned around pretty quickly. So, yeah, I agree. I think those are the two most worrying ones. I saw a lot of people talking about Colorado and TCU and, you know, like how bad is TCU if they lost to Colorado and how great is, you know, Dion if he got Colorado turned around. I think there's a lot less to actually talk about there than, than some people seem to. But um, what were your thoughts on that? Like, do you think that says more about Colorado or more about TCU? Uh, I, th- I think it's probably – both. I think, um, you know, Chandler Morris, TCU's quarterback, is not Max Duggan. I think he he made some – there was a couple of really bad decisions in the red zone. Uh, two interceptions, one of them actually in the end zone, one of them like the 10-yard line that just – you have no business throwing that ball. So, you know, I don't think – I think um, Colorado was – very much yeah they were they were more up for this game and obviously they were the hunters they you know they had 
they were basically playing with house money. Like, what do you have to lose if you're Colorado? No one expects you to win this game. No one expects you to win hardly any season. No one, no one, uh, you know, Dion's not going to be on the hot seat if he goes, you know, three and nine in his first season, given what, how bad they were, but his son put up a lot amazing numbers. Uh, they, they looked good. Um, I think it's too early in week one. Uh, there's always some outliers in week one. I don't know that Colorado is now a uh, playoff contender, but I also think that TCU is not the team that they were last year either. And, and you know, TCU got uh, – this is not to diminish last year's team. They, they You know, the way they played, they had a lot of opposing quarterbacks go out. I just think Chandler Morris is not Max Duggan, which is not an insult. Max Duggan was very, very good. Um, and they just have some – there's some execution things on TCU. They put up plenty of yards, but they just, there's too many times in the red zone or other big situations where they just couldn't get it done. And their defense, you know, their defense had some of these issues last year. They just could not tackle an open space and Colorado made them pay for that. And so, yeah, I'm not sure there's, there's too much here. I don't think the TCU loss is nearly as bad as Baylor or Texas tech. Um, Cause there's just a, there's a different level of opponent there. Um, and, you know, you can't really even base what Colorado was last year because literally 60 guys are different on this year's team than last year. It's not even – it's apples and oranges trying to compare Colorado. Yeah, I think – I mean, I think I think the biggest takeaway from that game is the fact that when Colorado gets here to the Big 12 next year, they're not going to be a pushover. Um, like, that's, I think, the main takeaway, right, is that they may be good, they may be bad, they may be somewhere in the middle, but they're not going to be a team that's like, you know, the – Kansas during Turner Gill years, right? Like where you just push them around and do whatever you want and they can't do anything to stop it. Colorado is going to be an, an interesting team to watch. I am, um, I, you know, I think that this kind of encapsulated what I was afraid of was going to happen for TCU. Because if you think two years ago when Iowa State went to the Big 12 championship game, uh, no, I'm sorry, not two years, three, three years ago when they went against Oklahoma, they were able to take advantage of a lot of 50-50 balls going their way. A lot of, you know, they got a lot of luck to be to be helped. And, and of course, you have to be a good enough team to take advantage of those opportunities because every team gets them. But, you know, the next year after that when they fell off, that was the problem. They didn't have those things go their way. And then last year, you know, they had even more of them not go their way. TCU was a team that last year got a lot of lucky breaks. They had a lot of really good things line up for them. They were able to take advantage of them all and make their way, you know, and, and beating Michigan, that was not a fluke. But they definitely, you know, benefited from some luck that happened for them last year. This year, I don't know that they're going to have that same. Like, they could be the, exactly the same team with the exact same output, but have some lucky bounces not go their way, and they would end up losing quite a bit more than they did last year. So I, I'm not necessarily that concerned about TCU. I don't think... Like, I thought maybe the rating that they had was a little bit too high, even though I think in the pod poll I actually put them there because I couldn't really figure out who to put above them. But, um, you know, it's it's just it's difficult, I think, at this point to really know what TCU is going to be. But I think it's pretty clear to say that they're probably not Big 12 title contenders this year unless a lot of things break badly for a lot of different people. I do agree with you. I don't think Chandler Morris is – as good as Mac du- as Max Duggan was, even though he won the job over Max Duggan last year, I think they were very fortunate that he went down in the first game and they were able to use Max Duggan the rest of the year. So, um, but the one thing that is never unfortunate um, is the absolutely fantastic apparel that you can get from our new friends at the Charlie Hustle Clothing Company. 
Charlie Hustle is a vintage-inspired clothing company based out of Kansas City specialized in collegiate and hometown apparel. They want you to be the best-dressed fan this season, so make sure you go over and check out the wide selection of officially licensed collegiate apparel that they have. They have some great Kansas stuff. The Jalen Daniels t-shirt is still, I think, one of the greatest things that they have ever come out with. I highly recommend that you guys go out and check it out. Um, they, you know, you can show off your school spirit all season long. Go over to charliehustle.com. Use promo code 101215. That is the letters T-E-N and the numbers 1215. You can get 15% off of everything that is a non-sale item over on the website. That is not a first-time shopper code. That is a whenever you go over there, whether it's your first, second, third, tenth, whatever, go over there, use that code, show your support for us here at the pod, at, at the network, and obviously for all of the great schools that they have covered or that they have apparel for, go over to charliehustle.com, get everything that you need for your college apparel needs. Charlie Hustle, vintage made fresh. All right, so um, speaking of apparel, Kansas, they went ahead and unveiled a brand new uniform on Sunday, the dubbed the black Hawk uniforms. It's the first time that the Jayhawks have had a black uniform, all black uniform. Um, you know, and, and I was over on the 10 to podcast network and I got some, some pushback. I'm sorry. Over on the 10 to podcast that dropped on Monday morning. And I got some pushback that these, you know, they were fine, but, but honestly, I look at these and, you know, if you're, if you're a school that's going to do, and black is not one of your main colors and you're going to do a black uniform, the goal of that uniform should be to highlight the, all the details, like highlight all of the specific, you know, embellishments you put on it and everything. And I think that these uniforms do that perfectly. Yeah. It's cool that they have, you know, the black background, but really the black background is being used to make everything else pop the huge 1941 Jayhawk head on the helmet. I love how big it is. Honestly, I think some people don't like that, but I just, I love it having that one gigantic there. And then also putting it on the shoulders, you know, the circus font, for Kansas, the numbers in blue, whereas, you know, the letters are in white to help kind of contrast those. The fact that the numbers are outlined in red and white, uh, you know, to go along with the blue. Like, it's everything that I would think I would imagine in a, you know, in a fantastic Kansas basketball uniform and just translate it into a football one. Do you agree with my assessment of those? Or is there something else about those uniforms either that you really like or that you don't like? Um, like, what were your thoughts when they when they came out with that uniform? No, I'm all in on on the uniforms. I think they're great. I think like you, I think they they handled the details really well. Like even the the blue face mask on the helmet, like is just a nice touch. I'm I'm all in on the Warhawk uh, logo, the the Kansas flag on the back of like the horse collar on the back of the jersey, the the stripes down the pants, which are uh, a fantastic addition. And yeah, like I you know it. The reason you do this is is less about the fans, even, but more about like the players too, and getting them excited and keeping them front. Like you, you, you've seen, Oregon was the one to do this first, right? When Nike is like, let's let's go all out with our uniforms, try a bunch of different things, and the players loved it. Like they, I think, loved it more than anybody else. And so, you know, I'm not going to want be one to like make a huge deal either way about uniforms. Like at, at the end of the That's day, that's what we have Derek for, are, right? <laughs> yeah, when the, the uniforms are secondary, but I think if you're everything KU is trying to do right now from a football program, whether it be the renovations um, and and how they're recruiting and all that, is to drive excitement. And I think this is an ex something that is going to drive excitement for the current players and 
the majority of the fan base, you're never going to get everybody to agree. There's going to be people who, who hate it and that's fine. I think overall though, that they, they won on this one. I think they, they knocked it out of the park for all the reasons that you said, I'm all for it. Um, you know, maybe this is the only game this year they debut it. Maybe they do one other time. I, but I think it's a, um, I like just even the fact that they are experimenting with this and trying to continue to be fresh and new and exciting and, and getting attention and, and, you know, getting all over social. Like, again, it's, it's, I think as much as for the players and recruiting and everyone who has eyes on that program and the excitement that it brings and just the conversation in itself, as much as it is, is the, the uniforms, uh, in of themselves, but I love the uniforms. I think they actually did a great job. So um, I know, yeah, I will defer to Derek on all the very specifics and he's got a good breakdown, of course, on the site. But, uh, you know, for me, 10 out of 10, well done. No other comment needed. Yeah, well, I mean, and, and let's let's be completely honest, right? Anytime you do a blackout or you do like a, a weird color uniform, weird as in not one of your normal color uniforms, it is a gimmick. The entire point of it is to be a gimmick. The question is, do you do the gimmick for the sake of just saying that you did the gimmick or do you do the gimmick to highlight something specific? And the fact that this was timed essentially immediately after, you know, the stadium renovation announcement, like they are doing a full refresh of the Kansas athletic department and all of the programs. And I think the fact that they did all of this kind of coordinated the way that they did, you know, it's funny because they had that 1941 you know, Jayhawk up on the the scoreboard in the renderings for the Memorial Stadium. Like that appears to be and, and I love the fact that they're doing this, but that appears to be that is their quote unquote unofficial, you know, football logo. Um like that is the the version of the mascot that they've used the most often for football stuff. I fully expect them to continue to do that. And the fact that they leaned in so heavily to it here and that they you know again like, I've seen teams, you know, Iowa State, they love their blackout uniforms, but to me, it's just a generic, you know, black uniform for the sake of having a black uniform, right? Like, most teams that do the black uniform, they do black and white only. They, like, highlight a whole bunch of stuff, and maybe they'll outline, you know, stuff in a little bit weird way. Kansas said, no, we're going to, like, we still want to be Kansas. We still want to show off the crimson and the blue and do all the things that we normally do. We're just going to put it on a black background. And so... This is, this is, I think, the best example of leaning into the gimmick so people can get excited about the gimmick and do all the things that they want to do, but not losing your identity in the process. And so I am super happy with the uniforms. I'm super happy with the way that they're doing this. I fully expect them to announce, you know, that they want everybody to be wearing black in the, in the stadium, um, even, you know, like... There's been a lot of blackout the booth hashtags going around. Right, exactly. Uh, but I mean, yeah. but I think I think the expectation is like you wear like a black t-shirt, right? And then have your Kansas hat. Like they don't want you to just be wearing black. They want you to have black with the with the blue and the and the crimson. Um, you know, to kind of accent it similar to the way that the that the jersey is. So, I I'm fully I'm fully on board with all of this. I am looking forward to seeing what's going to happen on Friday. But let's shift over to obviously what's happening on the field on Friday because Illinois is the opponent coming up coming into the year. I think the expectation was that they were going to have a really good defense and an offense that is going to be better than it has been historically, but you know, probably about on par with what they had last year when they won eight games. Um, looking at their game, they had against Toledo, which, you know, apologies to Toledo, but they're not really one going to be, you know, a spectacular team this year. Um, the fact that Toledo jumped out to the, you know, a lead on them pretty early. They had a two score lead going into, or 
shortly after the second half uh, started. So, like, I just, what were your thoughts about Illinois needing a last-second field goal to beat Toledo and then, you know, Kansas, uh, like, facing this team coming up on Friday? I think that you, the, the thing that you you take away first from Illinois coming into the season is the defense. But it is worth calling out that there's a lot of change in that defense. First of all, being that Ryan Walters, the defensive coordinator who orchestrated this this team's you know scheme, who then went out and was the best defense in a point points allowed per game basis last year, is now Purdue's head coach. Uh, so they, they promoted the defensive backs coach Aaron Henry. He's the new defensive coordinator. Uh, he you know Devin Witherspoon was by far their their best player and impactful player on defense. He's now in the NFL and he was a top 10 pick. Uh, and they have a new brand new quarterback on the offensive side. They also lost uh, Chase Brown, who was their, um, was their 1600 yard rusher last year, who's now also in the NFL. So, you know, it, it's not, I don't think a Illinois came into the season on the back of what they accomplished last year, which was a great story and was really, really impressive. But when you lose that much, it's going to be hard to replicate and be as good. You have a new defensive coordinator. You have a new a couple new big players on the defense. You got a new quarterback, new running back. And so, you know, I think it's it's both you take Illinois seriously, and I think they're still going to be a, a solid team, but they are probably not what they were last year, at least what we've seen so far. It's also week one, and, you know, you've got to take some of it with a grain of salt. But I think the biggest thing for me was that, they let Toledo run for 186 yards. Uh, and if you do that to Toledo, then again, we just talked about how great the run, the running back room has been for Kansas and how deep they are. I, I'm i curious to see what can happen there um, because Illinois is going to have to stop stop the, the, the ground game there. And that was something that they did really well last year. They, they only allowed opponents to run for a hundred yards a game uh, in, in 2022. Now Toledo comes out again, a new unit and runs for 186. Now some of it could have been, they just caught them off guard, whatnot, but that's, that's a lot of yards to give up to any opponent, especially Toledo. I mean, Toledo as a whole, uh, you know, accounted for what, 416 yards. They actually out, uh, they outpaced Illinois in terms of yardage for the game. They were actually really good on third down, seven to 15. Like Illinois just did not show the dominance um, that you would think. And I think that there's a, I'm not saying this is going to be a pushover for, for the J or like an easy kind of, you know, cake right. for the Jayhawks. But I think if you watch that game, you're like, okay, here's some, you know, the, Illinois quarterback was also its leading rusher, um, which again is, is, means he's dual threat and dangerous, but you know, there's something going on there. And then I think the biggest thing, and I didn't get to see all the game to know exactly, you know, how maybe misfortunate or, or whatnot they were, but Illinois committed, committed 10 turnover, or ah, geez, 10 committed penalties. 10 penalties for a hundred yards. Like that's a, and, and the thing that we talked about here was Kansas has been really good in the Lance Leipold era of not shooting itself in the foot. Um, now, that could just be one game, you know, hard to put too much stock in it. But that's one of those things where, you know, if Illinois can't get off the field because it keeps uh, committing silly turn or silly penalties, uh, it, they didn't, they only turned it over once on an interception. It, it's tough. I don't want to write them off yet. 
it also seems like this is not last year's team, which is understandable because there's so much turnover. The defense, first of all, I think that's the the running attack is what I'd be most worried for for that defense. But they also are big, they're physical, and I think the offense. I think the offense is still going to be able to move the ball for Illinois if if Kansas' defense can't, you know, get synced up, especially in that front seven. But this is not a world beater uh, by any means. It's a it's a it's a good power five t- team who will be a great challenge early in the year. Went eight and five last year. From what I've seen this year, I you know in the Big Ten, I don't know if they're going eight and five again unless you know um, their quarterback uh, Luke Altmaier just suddenly kind of really clicks. But you know he's he's one of those guys who um, came from Ole Miss, never really played much. We just don't know what to expect from him. This is the most you know he he basically in one game attempted as many passes as he did in any given season at Ole Miss when he was there for two years. So we just don't know what to expect. And so unless there's some sort of massive turnaround and improvement and everyone gets on the same page coming into this game, I think you, you watch that if your KU's coaches the film from that and say, there are some things that we can expose here and really take advantage of. Yeah. So, so the things that jumped out to me, I went back and rewatched the game and, um, Illinois defense had a propensity from Toledo to get beat deep on passes, which, you know, they had two really bad pass interference penalties because guy just got beat. So they just reached out and grabbed him. Um, Illinois looks like a team that is a little bit undisciplined at this point in the year. Um, the question is going to be, you know, if that's going to continue, how much are they going to get laid into for this one? But I think what really jumped out to me is just the fact that, you know, offensive or Toledo looked like they dominated this game for the most part. I mean, they had 27 first downs to Illinois 20. Um, for the most part, they were playing toe to toe or playing better than Illinois than Illinois all game long. Illinois just happened to get what they needed at the end, which is going to happen sometimes. Uh, but at the very least, you can say that these two teams played evenly for the vast majority of the game. Um, Kansas has a much better offense than what Toledo does. Just looking at what they do, if there's not a huge improvement from week one to week two. This Kansas offense is going to run all over this team. They're going to do all kinds of stuff. The real question is just going to be, is Kansas' defense going to be good enough to stop Illinois from getting points back? Um, I, I mean, this is just this is just one where I'm struggling to see. Like, I'm feeling a lot more confident about Kansas' position going into this game. But, I mean, it is still a Power 5 opponent. It is still a good possibility that... You know, there is still the possibility that Illinois just took this game a little bit lighter than they should have. Like, you know, looking ahead and like, you don't want to say that that's what you did in the first week of the season because it looks really bad. But I could easily see that kind of being the justification is that, hey, they didn't think Toledo was going to be anything special. Toledo came out ready to play and they were busy looking ahead to Kansas. So we will find out pretty quickly um, on Friday if that's the case or not. We will have a full preview of that game. I am in the process of getting our Illinois guest to come back onto the podcast, the same one that did the, the uh, preview for the season, but um, that will probably be dropping on Friday. So make sure you guys are paying attention um, before we get out of here though. Just want to talk about some of the other, there's two other sports that are in season right now that are, that have actually already played quite a few games or matches. And um, you know, you have w- women's soccer that has started the year three and three Oh and three. So they have three wins and then three ties. They tied against all of their power five opponents uh, in Wisconsin, Vanderbilt. And then last night, um, Sunday night, they tied Missouri 2-2 two two, um, out at Rock Chalk Park. So they uh, have dominated the other you know teams that they played. They played at Loyola, Chicago, won 4-1. They played uh, at home against Colorado College, won that one 6 to nothing, and then played at home against Arkansas State and won that one 3 to nothing. So 
a pretty good start for them. They are, uh, I believe they're on the cusp of being ranked. Um, they are a fairly good team, and it's definitely worth going out there and watching them if you have not already. And then, of course, the other one, the Kansas volleyball team, um, they were ranked coming into the weekend. Uh, I believe that they are still ranked coming out of the weekend, but I'm not 100% certain. I have not actually looked at it before we jumped on here. Um, I think it may have just gone live while we're recording. So, um, But they you know, started out with two straight sweeps of Pepperdine and Omaha, lost a tough 3-2 uh, to two set match against Purdue as part of the Kansas Invitational, and then bounced back on Sunday with a 3-1 to one win over Marquette. Both Purdue and Marquette were ranked um, going into those games, and so was Kansas. So... Um, you know, some some pretty good results for them so far. They are 3-1 and one on the year. And the Big 12 Volleyball Conference looks co- to be completely wide open this year because with as good as Texas was, they've already lost. Um, BYU looks to be phenomenal. This is going to be a very, very interesting year, I think, for specifically those, those two sports. Um, BYU has a really, really good uh, Olympic sport program, so they have good soccer teams, they have good volleyball teams, and um, most of the Big 12 is actually on the upswing. So I am excited to kind of see what those teams are doing. Um, might have an episode here or there kind of directly related to those two sports. Depends on what kind of guests I can get on. But, um, Kyle, anything from the other sports that really has jumped out to you? Uh, well, and I just want to say also shout out to um, the fans for the KU soccer. The, the Missouri game last night set a new attendance record. Nearly 1,200 people showed up at Rock Chalk Park. So, um, which if, if, you if I lived there, close, I would be out there every single game, but unfortunately I don't live I, close I, enough. <laughs> no, well, I do live close and it's a great, it's a great, uh, it's a great venue and um, it's a great place. Like, you know, I've got two boys, I like to take them out there, but so the fans are behind us. All Grady Dick was out there last night um, and taking in the game. So it, volleyball is also the, it's really hard to get a ticket in there. Like they have had fantastic attendance. So, there's a lot of buzz going in, not just with football and, and all these sports, they've proven it, you know, volleyball with a big win over Marquette over the weekend, like you mentioned, uh, Kansas soccer has looked good so far. So, you know, if you, um, if you've uh, had the itch for Kansas sports and can't wait until a Friday or a Saturday, there's a lot of good options for you to, to check out either in person or ESPN plus um, because yeah, it's, it's, it's starting out to be a really strong fall for the Hawks across all of the sports so far. Yep. Volleyball's back in action on Thursday and Friday. They are down in Wichita for the Shocker Volleyball Classic. Um, They play Wichita State at 7 p.m. on Thursday. And then on Friday, they play Colorado, um, again, down in Wichita at 3 p.m. on Friday during the day. Soccer is back in action uh, also on Thursday, 7 p.m., they are also on the road out in Kansas City, Missouri. So not that far away. I might try to sneak up there for that one. Um, we'll just kind of have to see. But those those two teams are both back in action before football gets back in action as well. But we will make sure to cover all of them. Kyle, I think that's going to do it for us today. But anything else, any, any other thoughts about anything that's happened this week or what's coming up that, that you want to leave people with before we get out of here? Um, I will just say um... Lance Leipold's holding his conference press conference right now. He did say that Jalen Daniels had a great day and had more reps than he has at any given point uh, so far up to camp. That's a good sign. I also think it's interesting. Um, I just saw that they, uh, if you look at the top week one quarterbacks in terms of QBR, which QBR is, is a bit of a flawed stat. As right. We know, it but has problems, but <laughs> it has problems, but we take it in there. Uh, 
you will find in that top 25 is Jason Bean coming in at number 25 with a QBR of 82.7. So third again, best in the big 12 this week as well. Yeah. So when you're looking at, and, and the other guys on the list who are, you know, maybe 10 spots ahead of them, you have Caleb Williams, DJ, Ugalale, uh, Jordan Travis from FSU, uh, Michael Penix of Washington, Bo Nix of Oregon. Like he's, he's again, Drake Mave of UNC. Like he's, Again, this is what we're talking about with that with that floor. Like you, you have a second quarterback here who can, in any given week, be a top twenty-five passer uh, in terms of his production. You know, in, in at least one stat or there, and he can win you games. So I thought that was another interesting thing to take away. Is obviously all of us want Jalen Daniels back and want him healthy, but if Again, he can't, it's all go, about the floor. Yep, it's all about the floor. Yep. All right. Well, that is going to do it for us. Uh, Kyle, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you have not already, please do go out wherever you get your podcasts, or it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, any of the other million apps that are out there. Just search for Rock Chalk Podcast and subscribe. Get every episode as soon as it comes out. If you give us a rating and a review, five stars, nice comments would be absolutely fantastic. But if for whatever reason you can't do that, just let us know what it is. We can be doing better. We really do bring the podcast to you guys, get you all the information you need in as entertaining a way as possible. So any comments, questions, suggestions, people you want to try to interview, Anything like that, contact me by email at rockchalkpodcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at rockchalkpod. We are part of the 10 Podcast Network covering all 14 teams of the Big 12 Conference plus all the new ones that are coming in next year. So Colorado, Arizona, Arizona State, and Utah. Um, we have shows for almost every single school in that group there. Go over to 1012network.com. You can find links to all the great shows. And, of course, visit the Patreon site. You can support us. You can support any of the other shows in the network by going to patreon.com slash 1012network. That's T-E-N-1-2, the word network. Uh, make sure you guys visit our sponsors, uh, Charlie Hustle, Prize Picks. Great opportunities there to get some really great deals. But that is going to do it for us today. Thank you guys so much for listening, and we will catch you guys next time on the Rock Chalk Podcast. Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, over limited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.